Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to An Amber A Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher, and today is a really exciting episode because I am hosting Molly from NutriSense, and we're going to talk about our experiences uh, with continuous glucose monitors. I'm going to talk about my personal experience, as well as things that we both have seen with uh, people that we work with. So uh, Molly, thank you so much for being here. Um, Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about you. For sure. I'm super happy to be here. My name is Molly, as you mentioned, and I am one of the dietitians at NutriSense. So we are just a health technology company and we leverage continuous glucose monitors as a way to provide better insight into, you know, an individual metabolism. So you can see the impact that different foods are having on you. Sleep, exercise, and stress, all these different variables can have an impact, and we can see that displayed through the glucose data. So we just are pretty much putting a preventative lens on analyzing glucose. I feel like most people, when they think of glucose and blood sugar, they you know correlate that with someone who has diabetes and someone who you know is you know checking to manage manage their diabetes, but we're just kind of putting, you know, that preventative lens on it, as I mentioned. So we're looking to catch, you know, more of these yellow flags and, you know, hoping that we can, you know, tweak, make tweaks and, you know, modifications earlier on so that later down the road, these things don't progress into something that's, you know, more harmful on our body. Um, I think that's so awesome because, you know, particularly with the population that I work the most, which was people with PCOS, I see a lot of people who think, you know, uh, well, I don't have type two diabetes, right? So, and my, my numbers, my blood numbers always look fine when I go to the doctor or whatever. So I'm probably okay. Um, and the reality is that what could be happening under the surface may be a different story. And I also think it's really nice that you guys have this option for us where we can be preventative because it's not like you go from like one day you're just fine. And the next day you develop type two diabetes, right? Like there's a gradient, there's a time period where we develop all these, you know, issues and it happens usually over the span of many years. So if you can kind of catch those trends early in yourself, especially if you're a person who's more at risk for that, um, I just think that's that's so helpful. And even if you never do develop type 2 diabetes, it's still valuable to know your blood sugar numbers, how blood sugar, how, you know, how you react to different foods. Uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. So NutriSense uh, reached out to me to, um, and they offered to let me wear a, a glucose monitor for a while. I wore one for like a month. It was intense. Like, I yeah. learned a lot of things about myself. Um, but, uh, and we'll talk about some of that, but, but yeah, I think this kind of information is, is just so valuable when you do have PCOS. So 
Exactly. And, and as you mentioned, you can go to the doctor and get, you know, an A1C or a fasting blood sugar, but this is only telling you so much. And if, you know, especially, you know, even one week on, you know, wearing the CGM, you can identify the fact that your fasting levels are fluctuating on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. if you go to the doctor and you're just getting a, you know, a blood draw, that's just one snapshot in time. And, you know, you're missing out on, you know, overnight values and, you know, any trends that are going on as you're sleeping that you, you know, you might miss out on. So that's why the CGM is so much more valuable in that you're getting so much more information out of it. Um, again, with, you know, a finger prick, it's just one snapshot shot in time, whereas continuous glucose monitor, it's monitoring your blood sugar for 24 hours a day for that 14 day period. So you get a lot of information. And I think, you know, what I said with the overnight values, this is one of the major trends that we will see in, in our members, our, their values, because, you know, what we eat the night before our sleep, our stress levels, all these different variables, as I mentioned earlier, they do have an impact on how your glucose is responding overnight. So there's just small little nuances that you can pick up on that you can, you know, make these modifications to, and, you know, maybe we can see some, some positive changes, you know, forward from that. So there are so many, so many little things that, that are beneficial in that. Aspect. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like with my own experience with it, you know, I thought that was, I thought it was really interesting because of course I'm a nutrition professional. I take, you know, I don't want to say that I'm like perfect with what I eat, but I'm, you know, I eat pretty healthy. I try to practice what I preach. And uh, I found it really interesting Um, you know, what my fasting levels looked like versus sometimes certain meals that I would eat the variability between my levels and how quickly my glucose would rise, you know, depending on different things that I would eat. I also found it interesting that certain things that I expected to spike my blood sugar didn't. So, you know, I really, I learned a lot about my unique kind of tolerance of different foods, which I think is so valuable coming from a functional nutrition perspective, which is what I practice, we are all about bio-individuality and, you know, every person's unique and all of that. And like you said, I mean, just looking at your basic lab work that you get once a year doesn't really tell you the full picture of what your tolerance to food actually is. And there's no one set diet that's just ideal for the entire human race, right? So even within the work that I do and my tendencies towards what I kind of request people to eat as a practitioner, you know, I, I, I found that there were some differences between what I kind of thought I should be doing versus what my body seemed to respond to. So I thought that that was really cool. Definitely. And I think you made a good point in the fact that you went on and you use the CGM and you found that, you know, something that you thought you were going to be more responsive to, you weren't. I think that's Mm -hmm. impactful as well, because sometimes we think that, you know, we hear that something's bad and we should restrict it and whatnot. And it's, it's more encouragement that you don't need to, you know, you can have more flexibility in the foods that you're eating, knowing that you're not having a poor metabolic response to that particular food. So I think it's, it's awesome when I, when I see that for sure. Yeah, that was my, um, specifically, that was my experience with, um, with oats. And 
I agree with what you said there because, you know, so often in the health world, we talk about taking things away um, or reducing how much we have of different things. We don't talk as much about in, increasing certain things in our diet. You know, one thing in particular being fiber, um, which is so important for blood sugar stable stability. And uh, a lot of times people lack fiber when they cut too much carbohydrate. So I think wearing a CGM is really valuable because it can show you like, Hey, you know, this is a food that yes, maybe is a bit higher in carbohydrate, but it also is high in fiber and look at how stable your blood sugar can look after you eat that. It's very freeing in a lot of ways, especially coming from the lens of having PCOS and hearing all the time, everybody's always like go keto, you know? So, um, so this experience was nice and very validating because it, it just showed me like, Hey, you know, Yes, there are certain places where maybe I need to be a little bit more careful, but also there are a lot of places where I can, you know, free up some of my restrictions for myself. And that's nice, you know, because the best diet for humans is the diet with as much variety as possible. Right. So. Welcome to the alchemy of natural healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. And that's funny that you tested out the oats because I had the exact opposite thing where I tested out oats when I had first worn the CGM and I had a very poor response to it. And I was eating them, you know, often in the morning. So that was informative for me. And I realized when I just switched out, so I made a modification to my breakfast and I went more towards like, I'll do scrambled eggs with an avocado and some berries that was more sustainable for me and kept me feeling better throughout the day. And I learned that through, you know, looking at my blood sugar that, you know, I'm not having that super high spike and I had more energy than moving forward. Sometimes you, you don't even think about something, but then when you actually then see the response in everything showing up in the glucose data, then it just, it's just informative. And then you can, you know, make movement from there. So, yeah, I had that experience with, um, my dinners. So I, I tend to practice, um, like time restricted eating and, I noticed that my values looked really great early on in the day, but the later in the day that I would eat, the more like the same meal would spike so differently later in the day than it would earlier in the day. And it was like so intense that that was really the biggest like eye opener for me. It was just like, wow, like for me, at least, I mean, I know this is across the board that circadian rhythm is important, but for me, it's like, oh my God, really important. So I switched my you know, my time restriction a little bit earlier in the day so that I could like finish eating earlier because I just, um, that just really like blew me away. And also kind of bummed me out, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think it's good. It's always good to have as much information as possible. Right. And I'm, I'm the same way as well, where, and it's a common trend that we see in glucose data all the time. We have a decrease insulin sensitivity later on at night, So if you have something, if you have meals in general, or especially carbohydrate, it's normal to be hyperactive 
and have a higher glucose response from these foods. So if I have someone and they test out something like a sweet potato or something, and it's, you know, eight o'clock at night, they'll come to me and say, Oh, can I never have this food again? And definitely not. There are ways to work around it. And the first offer that I would you know, suggest is, you know, trying to have it earlier on in the day. And for the most part, you know, some people might still be super responsive in the morning, you know, it just depends on the person, but hopefully that modification can help someone. And then, then that person knows maybe it's not the best option for me to have with my dinner meals, but I can have something that's higher in carb carbohydrate earlier in the day. So I never want to, if, if someone has a poor response to something, you know, definitive, definitively indicate that that's something you can never have again. There are definitely ways to work around it. And one of those things is meal timing. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's crazy how just everyone has such different responses and it's, it's good to just know your, your individuality. And, you know, there's so much information out there. Oh, you should be doing this and that, as you, as you said, but truly it, it comes down to the person. And I'm never, I think all the dietitians at NutriSense have this mindset as well, because we've seen everything across <laughs> the board with all types of diets and responses and whatnot. So I'm, I always go in with the exploratory mindset with my members that I'm working with and, and, you know, just we're working for you and let's, you know, try to discover, you know, based off experimentation, what's going to work and what doesn't. So. Yeah. And I think that that sort of experimental scientific sort of mindset is really valuable because when we get too dogmatic about food and make food about morality, that's when we always run into to problems because there is, it's not like religion, like there, you can't like, there's not one true way or whatever. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And, and one of the things that I found really valuable during the experience, um, especially as a nutrition professional who is constantly guiding other people, I really loved having a dietitian guiding me and helping me. It was so nice. I was like, well, maybe I need to hire my own like dietitian or nutritionist or something to help me. But you know, my, my dietitian was so great because she would watch what was going on with my blood sugar. And then she would give me little tips, you know, and tell me like, Hey, I noticed this. Um, maybe do you want to try that? She helped me come up with different experiments to try so that I didn't like waste my time using the CGM. Cause I mean, however you use it, like if you just want to use it to show like what you're, how you normally eat, or um, if you want to use it like experimentally, I'm sure it can be valuable. But for me, I really wanted to use it as a tool um, so that I could test all kinds of different foods and at different times and see, you know, what, what that would do. Um, and she kind of helped me through that process. And that I think made such a difference because if I had just had the data, um, you know, I might've even, I might have like, worried about it more. I think she kind of put things in perspective for me. Uh, but also, I don't know, she just kept me on track and everything. So that was really nice. And that's something that everyone who does a CGM with NutriSense gets, right? They get the dietitian support. Exactly. So if you sign up for one of the programs, then you get what any premium program you sign up for, you get one month of complimentary dietitian support. So from our end, we don't expect that, you know, everyone's going to have an understanding of what glucose data means. You know, it, it can be very confusing and difficult. So that's why we, we offer the dietitian support because 
you know, from your end, you may be seeing something, you know, you're having a response to this, or you're having high overnight values, or you're swinging super high, then, you know, you might be fearful thinking that I can never have this again, or what do I do wrong? So we're just here to guide you and just point you in the right direction towards different modifications and other things that you can do to help stabilize your glucose. So I think it's a very helpful component in, you know, even with accountability. If you're mm-hmm. someone who, you know what, to, or you have an idea of what you want to do, or you want to follow something, or you just want to get started with something, it's just nice to have someone there to support you through that. And all the communication with the dietitian is done through the app. So it's like a little in-app chat and everyone will be assigned their own personal dietitian. And then you can communicate with them via the chat. Um, but yeah, I think it's a super great tool in wafer definitely to me a a really good value because the amount of um, guidance that you get from the dietitian during that time is just really really helpful and it's like you know i i don't know how it works as far as like some people i'm sure wear the cgm longer term but i imagine for a lot of people they're just kind of like do it for a short shorter period of time and they gain a lot of insight from that. So I think it's, it's worth doing, even if you can only do it for like, you know, one month or whatever. Um, and I've had some clients already kind of sign up to do that. So that's going to be exciting to help, you know, from my perspective, redesigning and, and morphing their diets to be more individualized to their actual needs and uh, working hand in hand with their dietitian on that. And, you know, that that's, there's no substitute for, working with someone who has, um, training and experience in this field, you know, I mean, that's just, you can do all this on your own and that's nice, but it's really good to have, um, it's really good to have guidance from people who kind of know what they're doing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, to what you were saying with that and, you know, with, with the glucose data and everything, being able to see how your body responds. And even just if you can wear it at some point in your life, just to get a sense of what's going on. I started measuring my glucose probably about two or three years ago. And it led to my discovery that I actually had PCOS because I knew something was wrong, but every time I would go to the doctor there, we weren't able to pinpoint it, but I just didn't feel great. And I was having, you know, adverse symptoms and it was, when I started testing my blood sugar, it was before I even knew what a continuous glucose monitor was. I was just using the finger prick, but through the finger prick, I realized that I had higher fasting levels than I should have. It was somewhere in like the hundred range where the normal fasting levels should be somewhere ideally in the 70 to 90 range. So it was inching up a little bit higher. And then also all of my meal responses, when I had a higher carb meal, I was having higher glucose swings from that. And I could catch that on, for the most part on the glucose meter. So it was when I actually started wearing the CGM that I got way better insight because I was able to see, you know, not just, you know, how high I was spiking, but how long it was taking for my levels to come back down to baseline. And it was through that, that I recognized that there was, there was an issue. And in my mind, that was confusing because I was young. I grew up playing sports. I thought I ate a generally healthy diet, but it, it was just more informative for me. And then I ended up going to my doctor and then I, I knew the right things to say then, cause I was able to identify that something was wrong. And finally I was able to 
get diagnosed with PCOS. And now it makes so much more sense because I had a hormonal imbalance that was promoting, you know, blood sugar irregularities and everything else going on. So it was, that was super helpful for me. And I just hope that, you know, it's not always going to be the answer for everything, but it's just a puzzle piece and everyone's physiology is so different. So understanding any sort of, you know, metabolic process in the body is going to be beneficial for, you know, figuring out what's going on. So. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think when it comes to PCOS, I hear often, often from people that they're, you know, you know how there's the different types of PCOS. You hear about that a lot, right? Which I'm a little bit like, you know, we all have elements of all the different types, but um, typically I, I hear a lot that people say, well, I don't have the insulin resistant type of PCOS. I must have the adrenal type or some other type because I can't have insulin resistant type because, you know, I'm either, um, I'm not overweight or I don't have, um, you know, a high A1C or, or whatever it may be. And the, the problem with PCOS is that it's a, it's a disorder of what's called hyperinsulinemia. So we produce an excessive amount of insulin, no matter what we eat. Um, and sometimes that doesn't show up on traditional blood sugar labs, right? Cause insulin and blood sugar are two different things. So, um, the CGM is really valuable though, because like you said, you can catch the fact that like, maybe you're blood sugar technically looks normal on labs, but yet look at how it might spike really high after a high carb meal or something. And that's an indicator that your insulin is also spiking really high, right? Can you explain to us a little bit about the, um, the connection between that, like insulin resistance and blood sugar values? Exactly. Yeah. So basically when you eat something, say you eat something with carbohydrate in it, that's going to infiltrate into your bloodstream and that's going to cause a blood sugar response. And then insulin is then released from the the pancreas. So then it can be, you know, taken into our cells and then utilized as energy in the body. So when insulin is released, then the glucose levels can then come back down. So anytime you see in the CGM data that you are having a glucose spike where we're not directly measuring insulin, but we can assume then that insulin is being released as well. And if you are just getting an A1C test, for example, that's just looking at a three month average. It's not looking at that variability. So you're not seeing, you know, maybe you're eating three meals a day and at each of those meals, you're having a blood sugar spike, therefore an insulin response, then your insulin levels are consistently being, you know, elevated throughout the day, which is not something, you know, we, we want to work to modulate that. So they're not always hyperactive. And in the case of PCOS, insulin directly stimulates the ovary to produce more testosterone. It can stimulate the adrenal to produce more DHEA. So when we get all those troublesome symptoms of PCOS that we're always so upset about, like the hirsutism and, you know, the facial hair and the hair loss and, um, and the excess body fat and the lack of ovulation too. A lot of that goes directly back to that 
insulin being high. So if you can see like, hey, my blood sugar is like getting way higher than it should be, depending on different meals, you can also assume that like your insulin is also high and circulating high. So yeah. Exactly. And with that as well, with the, you know, insulin stimulating the ovaries to produce excess, you know, it produces excess testosterone. And I even noticed too, because I, you know, understood that, that in my mind, and I noticed when I was wearing the continuous glucose monitor, if I had like skin flare ups or something, they would be more regulated when I was, you know, when I was eating lower carb, more balanced meal, instead Mm -hmm. of just eating, you know, a processed carb, you know, at once, you know, it was more, more balanced. That was, was throughout my day. And I wasn't consistently eating, you know, every couple hours. Well, this was how it worked for me personally, but I was allowing more time in between meals. So that was, was helpful in regulating the insulin response. And I noticed that my skin was less aggravated when I was more mindful of that. So I I always thought that was super interesting and very helpful for understanding my, my body personally. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times with PCOS, I, I hear people, you know, connect that acne back to maybe a food sensitivity or food allergy. And certainly that can be the case. And there's a lot of, you know, evidence to support that food sensitivities are pretty common in PCOS, but uh, acne also can be very strongly connected to that excess testosterone and to that excess insulin. So I think, you know, before throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like that, that's a good place to start is like, Hey, let's work on getting the circulating insulin lower, um, first and see if that clears up your skin. I know for me, that was huge. Like I, when I was younger, I used to have acanthosis, nigricans, you know, the, uh, the dark patches on the elbows and the back of the neck. And I used to get a lot of skin tags and, uh, acne. And I never really understood like why I just thought, you know, and then it's really hard on you as a, as a, um, a young person to, to be dealing with that and be so different from your peers and all that stuff. I mean, that's really hard on your self-esteem, but I had no idea that that was connected to my insulin. And as I got older and started to get into nutrition and, and started to learn how to, you know, take care of myself better, all that stuff cleared up and went away. So I don't struggle with any of that anymore. Um, and that's, you know, that's really helpful for me. Um, I agree with you, like having more space and time between meals has been really important and making sure that there's at least 12 hours overnight where we're not eating and we just give our bodies a break. I mean, that's technically, uh, you know, that's technically intermittent fasting to give you like a 12 hour break, which to me is like, I don't know that we should really call that anything like that should just be normal. But, um, but yeah, like the longer you can, you know, to an extent, the longer you can go without stimulating the release of insulin, like it's going to, it's going to be beneficial for you. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying too, is like with intermittent fasting, basically you're, you know, in your example that you're going 12 hours without eating during that 12 hours, you're putting a rest to insulin response. And then by, if you were eating, you know, a meal, say every two hours, every time you're eating that meal, insulin is then going to be released. So by the combo effect of the intermittent fasting, and then also spacing meals out, that can be super beneficial in regulating insulin and ensuring that it's not hyper-responsive all day. So. Yeah, definitely. I think, 
usually with clients, I, I work towards that. A lot of times when I'm first starting with someone, their blood sugar is so out of whack and they're getting hypoglycemic a lot and all that, that we have to kind of do like the three meals, two snacks thing. I usually start off that way, but over time we always work towards more space between meals. Um, you know, whether that person ends up settling on, like if they're going through fertility, you know, they're wanting to improve fertility, maybe, you know, the three meals a day thing so that they can get more nutrient content, or if they're like me and I'm post-menopause and everything. So I am, uh, you know, I, I time restrict, do time restricted eating, whatever it ends up settling out. That's right for you. Um, it's it, moving more in that direction and kind of playing around with that. I think you might find would really be helpful. And of course, wearing a CGM would help you along with that process because you could actually see it. And, you know, just like with um, other types of testing that I do, I find that for people to make real lifestyle change, it is helpful for them to see on paper um, or on an app, like this is what's going on with me. Um, it just helps to put it all into perspective better than just kind of, you know, assuming that you have an issue or don't have an issue. Exactly. And yeah. with, if you are wearing the CGM, basically everything that all the data is being linked to our app and it shows up in graph form. But I know when I'm wearing it, it encourages me, you know, if you're about to make eat something or you want to eat something, it kind of makes you second guess because you don't want to see that response. On yeah. So I, I think it's very helpful in that sense. And I know I hear that from my members all the time. They just don't want to see it play out in the data. So it makes them not, you know, eat that ice cream later on at night because they just know when they go to sleep, it's just going to spike all throughout the night. And right. It, it could be a helpful accountability tool for sure. Um, and then, you know, and I also found it interesting that I was like discovering ways to kind of like hack it. Right. So if I did, uh, there were a few days where, where I went to this uh, restaurant that I will not name that has like these homemade pastries and oh my gosh, they're so good. And so I did have me some pastries. Um, but I found that like, if I, if I did some squats or some sort of, or if I had done my um, weight bearing, like tr uh, I work out with a personal trainer. So if I had worked yeah. out with the trainer before I went that, it didn't affect my, um, my levels as much. Um, and if I had eaten a particularly like heavy meal, if I did some walking or, um, or some weight bearing training, like some strength training right after the meal, like it, it dulled the spike. So I thought that that was really helpful. What are some things that, that you guys see as being like consistently helpful for, um, for blood sugar spikes? Yeah, I think the two that you mentioned so far are awesome. And those are strategies that I recommend all the time. But basically, when you if you do a workout in that post workout phase, you are, you know, ha are better able to tolerate carbohydrates at this time. So basically, you might have a carb regularly, and you might have a high response for, from it. But you may try it out the next day after a workout, and it may be you know, the swing may be more regulated and that's because eating carbs or prioritizing carbs after that, that our workout is very beneficial for uh, modulating our, our blood sugar level. So I always encourage that. And what you were saying too, with walking after meals, it even like a 10, 15 minute walk after 
eating something, especially at night too, because as I mentioned, we're, we have more difficulty processing food later at night. So if you go for a walk on top of it, it just helps dispose of any excess glucose that's still in your bloodstream. So you can kind of like walk it off and then your blood sugar will come down more efficiently. But both of those, both of those things are super effective. And then of course, we always hear, you know, protein pairing. And this is something that I find to be super, super effective in regulating a a blood sugar response. But even just simply eating your protein first, if you're kind of using that meal sequencing idea, if you're, you know, focus on protein before and even your veggies that are more fibrous, and then going in and eating your carbohydrate source is going to help significantly in regulating that response. And that's something that I see all the time. And then of course, if you kind of put all these things together and you can work with two things, two strategies at once. So if you want to, you know, eat pizza one night or something, then maybe, so you don't feel as bad about eating that you can go for, you know, work out before eat your pizza and then, you know, go for a walk afterwards and see if that is helpful in regulating the response. So then, you know, you don't have to feel as guilty. Um, one other thing that I find that's very helpful is, is apple cider vinegar. So I'll have, it doesn't work with everyone, but it, and it depends on the meal, but if there's, if you're not going crazy overboard and you're say we're working with, I'm working with someone who wants to consume a more natural carbohydrate, but they, they're still having a poor response to it. Then I always want to work on ways around that to help manage the spike. So ACV I'll usually just recommend two tablespoons. You can mix it in a glass of water and drink it before the meal. And it helps to modulate that response as well. So there's, there's different little tips and hacks that I think are super helpful to regulate glucose responses. And of course, these are things that I utilize all the time because I'm that person who has poor blood sugar responses to specific foods and it can be exhausting. So finding... All these different management techniques has been very, very helpful. So, yeah. And I, I think it's important to uh, validate that as well, that when we do have PCOS, I mean, it is, it is true that we do have to try harder than the average person to keep our, um, our insulin levels in check and it's not fair. Um, but here we are. And it is exhausting. You know, I found too, I I guess my experience, I found that it was all good data. Um, and I noticed that when I was more drained or when I was more stressed, my blood sugar levels were worse. Like if you looked at the first, uh, first couple weeks I wore the CGM versus the second couple weeks, my stress level was significantly higher the second couple weeks. And you can tell on my data that it was just like, you know, all over the place. Um, cause it's, it's, there's a lot to that, but it's, it's stressful to try to, um, do all these things at once. And, you know, you may, those of you listening, you may be feeling like, Oh, really? Like, you know, I have to do, I have to do all this just to eat. I mean, it's not that you have to, but these are some really helpful, like little things that you can do. So where you can still enjoy the things that you want to enjoy, you know, um, and not have to worry about it. It's stimulating that, that excessive insulin response. And I think that that's really, um, really more valuable than just saying like, okay, I can never touch this food or, you know, or else I fall off the rails and I'm, 
a quote unquote bad person or whatever. We start bringing morality into food again. So um, yeah, I was going to ask you about the, about the apple cider vinegar one. Cause I didn't try that during the time that I was wearing my CGM, but I was curious cause I've heard there's a, a particularly popular um, like blood sugar glucose influencer who talks about that a lot. And I'm like, I wonder if that's legit or not. So I know I always thought the same thing too. Cause it, it, it seems like, like it didn't work, but totally. And then when I started analyzing glucose data and seeing all the effects, I do think that it's, it's helpful. And again, not everything's going to It's like an extra little hack. And I think it's, um, it takes like two seconds. I mean, so exactly. Why not? Well, it tastes, tastes, some people yeah. like, so. apple cider vinegar is a, is a not great. When I first got started in nutrition, I worked in weight loss a lot at the beginning. And I remember I used to tell people to take a little shot of apple cider vinegar. Cause there was like one study that said that if you were already on a um, calorie restricted diet, that adding apple cider vinegar could like increase the amount of weight that you lost by like 1% or something. It was like a tiny amount, but I was like, well, Hey, anything helps, you know? So I used to have them do that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start up doing that again. I'll let you all know how it goes. Yeah. You got to try it out. I thought, I think it's interesting. One last thing that you, you brought up stress because as you said, you know, you might get, you you can become so stressed out about anything. Right. And especially women with PCOS and there's so much going on and there's so much out there and they don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. Then it's even in your in your sake, like you could see that when you are super stressed out, then you had these higher glucose levels. And I always say too, it's just, if you're, if your body is responding poorly to, you know, that metabolic stress, then that's an indicator that stress management is something that should be prioritized then for me, for you. I know mm-hmm. that that's something that I'm super affected by and, you know, getting into a routine with anything that can help regulate that, whether that be meditation or breathing exercises, or just going for a walk throughout the day, anything that's going to help manage your stress on a routinely basis, right? Um, We're looking at, there's different pillars of health and just focusing on diet and exercise sometimes just isn't enough. And Mm -hmm. stress is a major implication for, you know, weight management and everything else along those lines. So it's, 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 it's definitely beneficial. And that's why we're looking at the big picture of everything and all these implications can, can come into it. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, with PCOS, there's often, I won't say always, but I can't think of a client that I've had that hasn't also had some sort of adrenal dysfunction going on as well. You know, whether it be like high cortisol at certain times of the day or excessively low cortisol, you know, um, or high DHEA or whatever it may be. So that pillar of stress um, is really important to take care of if we want to make real changes to the body and even potentially get to a place where we're not having PCOS symptoms anymore, which can happen. Um, I won't say that it happens for everybody, but it can happen for a lot of people. But like you said, diet and exercise. I mean, yeah, I'm a nutritionist. And of course I think diet's really, really important, but I, I've seen this time and time again, that if we can't get our stress under control, then, um, then it really sets us back and it kind of prevents that, that, that healing. So, um, 
those are all good tips that you have and everything. I know how it goes, you know, yeah. like it's, it's all, I, obviously I had two weeks where my stress was really high. So I, I try to keep my stress under control, but, um, life gets tough, but if you can keep a regular schedule for yourself of certain things that you do for self-care, um, for me, meditation and, um, quiet time is really, really, really important, especially because I'm raising a two-year-old right now. So taking some time for myself every day is really, really important. And I think, you know, as women, sometimes we sort of, we push that to the side or we try not to, um, we don't want to let anybody else down, but it's so important to take care of ourselves first. And doing something like this, at least for me, it really helped me to refocus on that more because it showed me the plate, the kind of the glaring places where when I wasn't taking care of myself, how it affected my health. And um, that's easy to ignore when you don't see the data right in front of you. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a really, really valuable thing to do. Exactly. And I think we kind of always have like a intuitive sense of maybe something that's going on and, that data can be validating in that sense as well. So I totally, yeah. I totally get that. Definitely. Well, I think this is a, a good place to wrap things up. This has been a really, really good conversation, Molly. Thank you for, for being here. For those of you who are interested in um, a CGM, I do have a discount code for you. <laughs> Yay. Um, you can get $25 off if you use the code AMBER25, all caps, at checkout. Um, I will also put that in the description box here along with the link to their website. Um, so please consider doing that. Um, you will uh, also be helping to support me a bit, which is awesome. So thank you guys so much for um, for choosing me and, and uh, you know, letting me have this experience. It was really, really valuable for me. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening today. If you all have uh, questions or feedback, don't hesitate to reach out. And just a couple reminders. If you do have questions for the podcast, um, you can go on uh, the link in below and there's a Google form that you can fill out to submit questions for the podcast. I love to answer questions on here. So please do that. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I think that's it. Thank you for being here, Molly. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Great, great talking to you, Amber. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.